Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome to a really big shoe today. Uh, you have to be a certain age to get that joke. <laughs> our topics for the day. Why don't progressives get that seizing the Democratic Party is our best chance to power? I'm already getting the Russian trolls and the people who parrot them. I, I realize most of them aren't Russian trolls. They're just people who didn't bother to read my article all over Twitter, and I'm sure more will come. And probably some will call into the program today. So let me lay this out over the course of the next half hour in some detail. Also, Judge Jackson, would they be asking these questions if she wasn't a black woman? Like, please answer for every black person who's ever said anything in America. Right. And dictator Ron DeSantis is eyeing a special session to try to knock off two black members of Congress uh, targeting these black-held congressional seats. This is uh, about as wild as it gets. We'll get into that. But let me start at the beginning. This is an issue that we've been talking about on this program for, I would say, most all of the 19 years I have been doing this show. And that is, how do we most effectively produce progressive change in the United States? And the position that I have taken from, largely from the beginning, is that while, yes, it's important to call out corporate Democrats, it's important to call out Democrats who have betrayed us. You've heard no shortage of my identifying the, the very specific corruption, for example, of Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin on this program. I am not afraid to call out corporate Democrats. I'm actively campaigning against a corporate Democrat in my own state, Kurt Schrader the guy who keeps trying to stop Medicare from, from uh, negotiating drug prices. He's the heir to the, I, I think it's the Pfizer, for, one of the big pharmaceutical fortunes. Um, he's a Democrat here, here in Oregon. Four local Democratic parties, county Democratic parties, that, that all you know, are uh, on or border his district, have now come out and, enjoy, and endorsed his opponent, Jamie McLeod Skinner, who has been a guest on this program. So it's not like I'm afraid to do that or reluctant to do it, but my point is that often we use that. We use that critique or criticism of corporate Dems as sort of the political equivalent of masturbation. You know, it feels good, but it doesn't produce any consequential results. Instead, we need to get inside the Democratic Party, take it over, and make that change happen. 
And there's a couple of issues here, and that's why I said I'm going to spend some time with this. Um, you know, back in the day, I used to have this caller, Jeff from Denver, who would call in all the time. And I wrote about him in my book, Screwed, back in 2000, whatever it was, 2004, I think that book was published. And uh, he, you know, he, was, he would call and complain about the, what the corporate Democrats in Colorado were doing. And one day I said, well, why don't you show up at the Democratic Party and do something? And he did. And he became a precinct committee person, as I recall. And, and ended up actually helping write the Democratic Party platform. Activism works. It actually does work, but it requires more than just words. I, I, I mean, you know, nowadays I get callers all the time saying, yeah, I became a precinct committee person. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an entirely possible thing to do. You can do it. We can all do it. There is, by the way, Sean and Nate, I'm not sure which of you wants to do this, but there is a, a two-minute YouTube in my article today on HartmanReport.com that I would like to play the audio from, or at least some of the audio from, in the, uh, in the second block of this, of this half hour. Um, if, if you and I wanted to take over NBC, for example, to promote progressive change, it could take billions of dollars to pull that off. The Democratic Party, on the other hand, at least in most areas, and I realize that there's a lot of institutional inertia to overcome, and you've got some really entrenched people, but nonetheless, it's a nonprofit organization that has basically a sign hanging out saying, come on in. And a lot of progressives are doing that. I mean, look at the impact of, of just Bernie Sanders stepping into the Democratic Party. He, Bernie created the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He was the co-founder of it. And I remember back in the day, back in 2000, what, I think it was 2005, it was way back when, when I was doing this program and Bernie was on the show every Friday, Brunch with Bernie, he did that for 11 years. And I had been invited to do a fundraiser for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, I, my, my recollection is it was down in the Southwest, might've been Arizona or New Mexico. And Raul Grijalva was the guy who was leading the, the caucus at that time. And I went down there to, uh, to do this fundraiser, and there was uh, maybe a little fewer than 100 uh, activists who showed up, which was pretty good. But back then, there were only a dozen or two dozen members in the House of Representatives of the, House Con of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Now it's one of the largest caucuses in Congress. They have tremendous influence. The Biden administration has been promoting. Now, they haven't won in all cases, but they have gotten a hell of a lot of good stuff done. Um, but, you know, like, for example, with Build Back Better, it was, they were betrayed by Mansion and Cinema. But they have gotten some really good stuff done, which wouldn't have happened, in my opinion, if Bernie Sanders hadn't said, okay, I'm going to get inside the Democratic Party, I'm going to run for president twice, and we're going to get our message out. We're going to change this party from within. A friend of mine recently sent me a note saying, uh, you know, I don't get why all your examples are of Reagan bash and bashing the Republicans. Uh, you don't mention the corporate Dems. Well, first of all, I do mention the corporate Dems, as I pointed out, at some length and frequently. Although not probably as often in my writings over at Hartman Report as I do on the air. But, uh, you know, it's still, it's there. It's very much there. And, and it's true. Corporate Dems have let us down a lot. I mean, uh, the Affordable Care Act, for example, could have been so much bitter, bigger. Now, you could argue that, uh, okay, it was corporate Dems who took it down, specifically Joe Lieberman. And I would not disagree with that, but I would say that, you know, President Obama could have provided 
stronger leadership, shall we say, in that regard, you know, in, in, the, in the progressive side of it. Or maybe it just wasn't the time, whatever. Or George W. Bush, you know, he pushed through Medicare Advantage, which is a scam and it's, and it's killing Medicare. Within, within a decade, it will have completely replaced Medicare if the, if the current trend lines continue. And Obama didn't do a thing about it, and neither has Biden so far. So, yeah, there's some problems inside the Democratic Party. Bill Clinton's embrace of Reagan and Bush's neoliberalism, you know, the, the NAFTA and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's not like the Democrats don't have a few things to answer for. And I write about these in my book, and I talk about them on this program. But the unfortunate truth is that in the United States, there is only one way for us to truly accomplish progressive goals that we have worked and fought for through all these years. And it's the only way that in the past we have accomplished those progressive goals during the administrations of like Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. And that is to get inside and seize control of the Democratic Party. Now, there's a reason for this, and that reason has to do with what's called a two-party system. We are one of only a small handful of democratic countries, of, of, of uh, democratic republics around the world that can't really accommodate five or six major political parties at the same time. I'll explain to you why it's stick around. Tom Harmon here with you. Okay, so here's the situation, and this is, how it, this is how it works. When they founded this republic, when America was founded, one of the biggest challenges that the founders of our republic identified was the fact that two political parties would emerge because it was winner-take-all, first-past-the-post elections. You can have, you know, basically, if, if somebody gets 50% 50 per, 50 plus one of the vote, or a majority of the vote, the majority winner, they end up with everything, and the losers end up with nothing. Now, compare that to how it works in, in many European countries, how it works in France or in Israel or, or uh, you know, other countries around the world that adopted John Stuart Mill's proposal, which didn't come along until 1861. John Stuart Mill said, let's do it differently. Instead of winner take all, let's say, you know, if one party gets 12% of the vote, they get 12% of the seats in parliament. So they don't lose everything. So their voice isn't silenced. And the result of that is that you see in most democracies around the world, we're one of only seven democracies in the world that has this winner-take-all, first-past-the-post kind of system. Again, it wasn't invented in 1787. It was invented in 1861. And all the democracies that came into being after 1861, pretty much all of them have adopted it. But by blocking, by our, what our system does is it prevents, it keeps out of governing, keeps out of governance, prevents from participating in governance those third and fourth and fifth and sixth parties. And thus we lose their voices. Thus, as, and, and, and by the way, Madison and, and Hamilton were, I mean, this is what Hamilton said. In Federalist One, the very first of the letters that they wrote that they published in the newspapers, mostly in New York, but around the country, back in 1787, this, this was in October of 1787, Federalist One, One was published. 
in order to try to sell the Constitution. He said, ambition, avarice, personal animosity, party opposition, and many other motives not more laudable than these are typical of the intolerant spirit which has at all times characterized political parties. Thomas Paine said, for it is the nature and intention of a Constitution to prevent governing by party by establishing a common principle that shall limit the power and impulse of party and that says to all parties, thus far shall thou go and no farther. Well, it was a nice try, guys. They thought they could change how things work in the United States. But they, they didn't, they, they couldn't. They, there was this fatal flaw. And this is why you have all these stories, and I linked to a couple of them in today's article, about how the Republican Party likes to fund the Greens, and the Democratic Party likes to fund the Libertarians because they will split the ticket on the other side. We've seen this all over the place. It's, you know, uh, Ralph Nader getting 90,000 votes in Florida the same year that George W. Bush won the White House because he won that state by 537 votes. Now, yes, I agree with Ralph Nader that all 90,000 of those people would not have voted but I'm guessing more than 537, had he not been on the ballot, but I'm guessing more than 537 of them would have voted had he not been on the ballot, would have voted for Al Gore. So, you know, it, but I, my, my entire argument doesn't even turn on that. And I realize that that's still contentious and there's still people fighting about that. And I don't, you know, I frankly don't want to get into that fight. But here's the bottom line. There's no alternative. We're not going to magically elevate the Green Party to some huge status that's going to allow us to, to, to allow the Greens to take over America. The simple reality is that at the local level, the Green Party does great work. And we need the Green Party at the local level in many cases. They've got over, over 300 towns and counties around the United States now have embraced instant runoff voting, which does solve this problem because of activism by the Green Party. But at the federal level, and in, you know, in statewide elections, typically they just pull votes away from Democrats. So the answer isn't to just blindly say, oh yes, every Democrat is wonderful. No, we have to do everything we can to get rid of corporate Democrats like Kurt Schrader, like Joe Manchin, like Kirsten Sinema. But we do that at the ballot box which means that we've got to get inside the Democratic Party. We've got to be participating with the Democratic Party. I'm all in favor of accountability. I'm all in favor of calling out the malefactors. My problem is with people who want to stand on the outside and throw stones without understanding that there are things we can do. You know who's the biggest advocate of this right now? Steve Bannon. Steve friggin' Bannon. On the other side of this break, I'm going to play a clip for you from a 2010 Republican video. And this is what Steve Bannon is saying right now on the radio. He's saying to Republicans all across the country, get inside your local Republican Party, become precinct committee people, take that party over, and, and, and we can flip America fascist, essentially. I mean, he's not saying the last part, but that's, in my opinion, that's the subtext. And it's working. It's working. They're taking over the Republican Party, these Trumpies. We, progressives, have to take over the Democratic Party. 
at this point in time, frankly, I don't think there's an alternative. We can't afford to just sit around and complain anymore. The whole rant, by the way, is over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Why Don't More Progressives Get That Seizing the Democratic Party is Our Best Chance to Power? Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back. Okay, I want to play, it's two minutes and one second. It's a video from the Concord Project, which apparently isn't around anymore. I, I, their, their website seems to have vanished. But their YouTube videos live on. They've got a whole series of these. This is one of the first that explains how to get inside, in their case, the Republican Party. And like I said, Steve Bannon is now the one who is talking about this almost literally every day on his podcast that millions of Republicans listen to. He's saying the same thing. Democrats need to pay attention to this because the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in this regard work almost identically. Now, it does vary from state and county to state and county, but by and large, these principles are true. Um, this is the spokesperson, I'm sorry I don't know his name, for the contact of the Concord Project. This is their get out the vote effort. But this is, I'm, I, you know, when I said get inside the Democratic Party, I'm not just talking about you know, sending 10 bucks off to the DNC and saying and getting a, a card that says I'm a Democrat. I'm talking about actually showing up and running for something called a committee precinct member or precinct person, precinct they call on the Republican Party, they call them men. Um, here's the clip. This is, this is two minutes and it's really worth listening to because he just lays this out for you. What's the most powerful political office in the world? It is not the president of the United States. It's precinct committeemen. Why? There's three main reasons. First, because precinct committeemen and only precinct committeemen get to elect the leaders of the political parties. If you want to elect the leadership of one of the two major political parties in this country, then you have to become a precinct committeeman. Second, precinct committeemen and only precinct committeemen can vote in internal party elections to endorse candidates in the all-important, traditionally very low turnout primary elections. This is critical stuff. If a candidate wants to win the general election, he first has to get onto the general election ballot. To get on the general election ballot, he has to win the primary election. And the best way to win the primary election is to get the endorsement of as many party committees as possible. Precinct committeemen are organized into committees. For example, every county has a party committee. Every state legislative district has a committee. Legislative districts elect the people's representatives to the state legislature. Now the third reason you want to become a precinct committeeman is because in some states when a vacancy occurs in a state legislator office, 
precinct committeemen and only precinct committeemen, not registered voters, get to nominate three nominees to fill the vacancy. This is huge. The County Board of Supervisors then select the replacement. If, under a system like this, a majority of the precinct committeemen are conservatives, then all three nominees will be conservatives and the eventually selected replacement will be a conservative. That's real political power. Yeah, I'm Thank in. you. That is real political power. And that's, that's my point, is that if we really want to have political power in the United States, we have to get inside the Democratic Party. The alternative is to stand on the outside and throw stones. And that just, you know, that renders us impotent. You know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've tried that too often for too long. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to participate in this. So, anyhow, I'm, I'm sure that this is going to trigger some folks. And, in fact, Joyce, uh, on the, the calls on Ukraine, why don't you pull those off the board? Because I'd like to just stay on this topic. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? Well, I've got plenty on my mind. And I want to start off with Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And, by the way, California has a huge surplus in the state budget. Yes, yeah, like 81 million you know, bucks or something, isn't it? As, as I recall, it's, yeah. it's, it's massive. Yeah, well, we're the fourth largest economy in the world. Yeah. Anyway, I voted, of course, against the uh, recall effort because I didn't want anybody like Larry Elder to become governor of California. Right. Uh, but, you know, Newsom, he's been a bit of a disappointment. Um, a few years ago, he had a chance to have the state take over PG&E. But he made some kind of a backroom deal with them. And this is something I found out on a recent uh, uh, radio talk show uh, from KALW in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Rose Aguilar's program. So um, there's that. But, you know, I want to also, you know, point my finger not just at corporate Democrats like the one that represents uh, in Oregon there, Schroeder. Schroeder, yeah. Um, but it's also the people that vote who are Democrats. And, you know, are, are, are we Democrats going to go with Jim Carville and is thinking that, uh, uh, you know, don't vote for the progressive Democrats. You have to keep voting for the moderate, you know, middle of the road Democrats. Uh, you hear that all the time on, on uh, a lot of these uh, shows on MSNBC and, and even CNN. Um, well, you have to. So, uh, let me pause you right there, Dennis, because I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm really with you, and, and, uh, but, I, but, uh, but if, for example, we were to say, okay, we're going to purge the party of Mansion and Cinema because they're not sufficiently progressive, <laughs> which would be very satisfying, you know, just kick them out, let them go to the Republican Party. What happens in the Senate? Suddenly Mitch McConnell's in charge. The problem, oh, yeah, the problem that we yeah. have is that the first vote that a, a member of Congress takes is their most important vote, and that's for leadership. Who's going to run the? Who's going to run that body of Congress? And uh, I, I mean, arguably, they could vote right now to put uh, McConnell in charge of the Senate. Although, uh, Mitch, uh, although uh, Schumer would have to call the vote. But so you do it strategically. You know, I mean, there are times when you have to hold your nose and vote for a corporate Democrat because otherwise the party loses its majority in the state and can't do anything. But, you know, that said, yes, let's replace the corporate Democrats with progressives as rapidly as we can. That's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did. She took down the number three Democrat in the House, Joe Crowley. Exactly. And there's other examples of, of other Democrats like her. I can't name one off the top of my head. Try the whole squad. But, uh, 
Yeah, but that's the thing is that uh, we either go along with the James Carvilles uh, and the guy that had that show, uh, Hardball Guy, because he used to say the same thing, can't think yeah. of his name, Jerry Matthews. Uh, or we go with uh, people like Bernie and other um, Democrats who are going to take the anti-corporate stance, who, are, who really want to do something about global warming. But see, that's the thing. I mean, I look at, you know, I live in this very progressive area, Santa Cruz County. Every other car you see on the road is a gas-guzzling SUV. And yet, we are, you know, people who win elections here are Democrats. But yet, I don't see people doing what they need to do. So get inside your party, Dennis. Get inside the party. Take that sucker over. I mean, that's what we have to do. That's, That's my call for action here. And let me be very clear. That's what I'm trying to say. Dennis, thanks for the call. Bob in Chicago. Hey, Bob, your thoughts. Yeah, Tom. Hi. Uh, you know, a couple other times I called, I was a little bit a little bit critical of you, but I just want to call and applaud you very loudly. This is a super important topic here. In Chicago, we've been dealing with bad <laughs> racist Democrats way back from Forever. Old man Daly, right? Yeah. And with Harold Washington, and if anyone doesn't know who Harold Washington is, they should Google him. He's a hero. But with the Harold Washington movement in the 70s, we've been dealing with this. We call them, we would call them machine, there was machine Democrats, and then there were independent Democrats. And there still are, though it's a little more foggy now, but participation is the key to unity. And, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't applaud you more. I think um, I would say, Bob, it's not even unity. I mean, you know, we can have disagreements. You know, it's like, you know, when you when you go to war, you don't necessarily agree with the person standing next to you on every issue. (laughs) But but you are united Mm -hmm. over the big issue, which is we're going to win this war. That's what we've got to do, I think. Absolutely. And I think at a deeper level, there's a lot of all or nothing thinking going on in our society. And I think social media has really pushed that. And um, you know, it's not either or. And to, to with respect to the lat, to the caller you talked to, you explained it to him, and I don't think he heard it because he just started kind of demonizing Carville, for example. Yeah. I don't always agree with Carville, but sometimes he makes a really good point. Yeah. And and I think we need to look at like who who are our allies that we sometimes disagree with, and who's really the I hate to use the word even, but the enemy here is like Trump and all his. Cronies. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's know, let's, uh, let's be f- very clear about that. Bob, thank you for the call. Uh, Robbie in Portland. Robbie, you want to disagree with me? Uh, tell me what your alternative is. It's not necessarily what the solution is, because if we can't come to the solution, if we can't agree what the problem is, I'll just give you a little bit. I worked for, I campaigned for Raul Grijalva when I was 10 years old. I uh, worked with the Democratic Party since I was that age, and I saw how corrupt the party is from inside. I've heard people call in. And just to let you know, there was a Princeton and Northwestern study that showed that it was statistically non-significant impact when people called into their senators. What we're dealing with here is I'm not is talking about calling system. in, Robbie. I'm talking about... If you think Raul Grijalva is corrupt, replace him. Okay, well, I'm you, talking I'm about not. get I, inside I your Democratic Party. For Raul I campaigned for Raul <laughs> Yeah, no, he, he was the head of the Progressive Caucus when I did that fundraiser for them back in 2005, I think it was. 
That was when I was campaigning for him, too. Yeah. Uh, my point, though, it's kind of getting derailed here, is that we have a two-party system by design. Uh, yep. At one point, the Democratic-Republican Party was one capitalist party, and we're falling for the same tricks. To think that – I've heard you talk about this whole Green Party thing, and it's like, why don't people vote for what they believe in? The Democrats rigged both primary elections. You hung up on me when I said that last oh, I, time, and I don't I, know why. What I'm saying, Robbie, I'm not even is talking about, I'm, I'm not even talking about hang, Donna hang, Brazil. Pause for just a second. That you're absolutely right that we have a two-party system in the United States. That's not because the Republicans and Democrats got together in a conspiracy. That's because they we have winner-take-all elections. They were one party before. They were not one party before. The, the, the Democrat-Republican Party. I, oh, yeah, the Democrat. That, that was the Democrat. That was the name that Thomas Jefferson gave to what we call the Democratic Party today in 1801 when primary, he created it. And those were the and, two. And they that dropped was the, the word. for our two-party system. No, it's not. And they, that's a myth. I've never even heard that fantasy, Robbie. They dropped the word Republican from their name around, the, you know, toward the end of, the, of Jefferson's presidency around right, 1808. It became the Whig Party. It, no, it didn't become the Whig Party. The Federalists became the Whig Party. There were two parties at that time, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. The Democratic Republicans just dropped the word Republican from their name, and the, and, and the word Republican vanished from our politics for about a decade and a half. And then okay, the, Whigs, right. so, the, Whigs, the Whigs replaced the Federalists in the 1820s. And then in 1856... The modern-day Republican Party was incorporated in Jackson, Michigan, and, and their first presidential candidate of any consequence was Abraham Lincoln. It was not okay, one well, party okay, that became two. This got a little bit derailed. I appreciate, you explaining, I appreciate you explaining the Democrat and Republican Party from that perspective. Uh, apparently, they're not related like that, but they are supporting one corporate system. They are still supporting they one corporate system. I'm not even talking about I'm the, agreeing with so, you. I'm okay, saying so the, the way you're going to change that is not by not standing by on the, the outside. The no, way you're going to change I, that I'm is by getting though, inside Tom, the party. What I'm trying to tell you is I did work with the Democrat Party, and people have called in who have worked with the Democrat Party. And look at it's AOC. It's not the Democrat Party, AOC. Robbie. She That's what they call it on AOC. Fox News. AOC There's no such thing as a Democrat Party. The it's the Democratic Party. The DNC was trying to dethrone AOC. Am I correct about that? They have had problems. There, there is a huge, and this is my whole point, and I think this is something you and I agree on, Robbie. There is a huge battle going on inside the Democratic Party right now for, I'm for whether you, the corporate what? faction is going to rule or whether the progressive faction is going to rule. You actually, and for the you first time in my, in, 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 since, the, since the 1980s, in a meaningful way, there's a good chance that the progressive faction can take control of this party like it did in the 1930s and like it did briefly in the 1960s. What I am saying is what you are setting people up for, Tom, is you are setting people up for the Charlie Brown effect where Lucy takes the football away from us as more and more Only people if try all to they do is the vote. Democratic Party. Look at, look at the 2016 and 2020 election where the Democratic Party rigged the primaries. How is that democracy, Tom? The, the, what you're calling rigging the primaries is how the parties work. If the Democratic Party had been, no, let me finish. If the Democratic Party had been controlled by progressives, they would have been rigging, to use your, your words, the, policy, the party for the progressive policy, candidates. The policy in your thinking is thinking that Debbie Washerman Schultz, that John Podesta would allow people to control the DNC. That's your problem. You said it would and take that's oh, why billions of dollars to, to do the media. You don't think it would take billions of dollars for people to why the they thing, need to be replaced. That's why you so, Tom, need to be not working happen. inside. There is no it is happening, Robbie. The happened. Democrat, the, the Congressional Progressive Caucus has 100 members now. 
It's oh, the largest. It's one of the largest like, caucuses in Congress. And what have they done for us, Tom? Lost, they they uh, have pushed through. Rights? What, what are they doing? What are they? They're asking Robbie, for more money. I am going to hang up on you if you keep interrupting Tom, me. Tom, it's good talking and, to you again. I'm glad I can talk to you. Thank you, Robbie. Dinoob. Enough. Dainu. Cliff in Santa Fe. Hey, Cliff, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, I appreciate your show. I love your call to action at the end of the show. I stop whatever I'm doing and listen to it just to be inspired every day. I'm going to, in a little more respectful way, also disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's five ways that people can participate in our political process to make things better. You're suggesting one of them, which is uh, political party involvement. And I'm a, a state a uh, committee member here in New Mexico, and I'm a, I've been a, a ward chair. Uh, I'm going to advocate more for the second way, which is to volunteer or work for a political campaign. And let me explain. I'm all in favor of that, Cliff. Three. 100%. Well, and they're, they're not mutually exclusive. I let agree. Let me do the other, the other three very quickly, and sure. then I'll come back to Sure. We have about, experience. by the way, we have a minute and a half, so we're going to hit a hard break. All right. I'll, I'll talk fast. Third way is to volunteer or work for issue-oriented advocacy groups like Indivisible Common Cause. You have many Amen. of them on your show, and it's interesting. Amen. Fourth way is to get involved in what I call the voter apparatus, to be a, 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 a voter registrar, to, to be an election judge, yes. work for your secretary of state of your county. The fifth way is just to show up, not to be organized but attend rallies, marches, write letters to the editors. So and these are not mutually exclusive, and I do all five, and I'm sure many of your listeners do. I completely but agree. I have, found, I have found that because of the dark money, Citizens United, Bilotti, you talk about them a lot, uh, the, the, the system is rigged in terms of campaign financing, and it's the poison. Yes. Um, but I have also found that because the parties don't support primary candidates, they have to be neutral, basically, that the way to really impact is to support uh, progressive Democratic candidates in the primary so that the yes. people running, the candidates running in the general election that the parties do support are people that we can also support as progressives. And that so happens that, within the party, point. Cliff. You can't do that from outside. You can. Well, it depends. It's state by state, of course, because of our federalism system. You don't need the party to get on the ballot in New Mexico. You need a certain number of Okay, that's the, uh, that's the exception to the rule, then. But it is part of the process. And so be aware of what your process is. It may make more sense to support candidates than the party. Well said, Cliff. Well said. I completely 100% agree with you. My op-ed today and my rant is directed to those people who are so loudly, constantly throwing stones at, and in many cases, very appropriately, at corporate Democrats, but not offering any solutions. And I think, frankly, that can be just ultimately destructive. Cliff, thank you. Welcome back. Tammy in Loves Park, Illinois. Hey, Tammy, what's up? Hey, Tom. I actually been listening to you for about five years. Like you said, got up, got active. I became a precinct committeeman. Uh, in Rockton, where I lived. I've recently moved to Love's Park, so I got my signatures, and I'm going to be on the ballot uh, for this come upping uh, election in June for precinct committeeman here as well. What I want to reiterate, thank you so much, and I have you, you to thank for it, to be I really do. Um, but what I want to reiterate is that uh, 
folks, if you're get out here, get active. If you are applying for a precinct committeeman, make sure you have your form filled out correctly before it gets notarized. Once it's notarized, it cannot be changed. Um, I'm very involved with the Winnebago County Democrats, and so we have a lot of meetings and um, things are coming up about you know some of the petition or the uh, the petitions for precinct committeemen were being turned in. They're being challenged because maybe uh, the pages weren't numbered correct, or we had some Republicans that were putting um, people that were dead signatures on. So a lot of that is being contested. Mm. So I just want to reiterate to folks that make sure that you are filling it out correctly. Because okay. like I said, once it's notarized, it's, it's you Got know, it. it's a done deal. Got and it. I mean, something just that simple. And I did try to get election judge. I went to the training, but after the training, I found out, well, it's a conflict of interest. So mm. folks, get out here. We need you. It okay. didn't take... I, I was in a district, Tom, that was... I'm a black woman. I was in a district that is predominantly Republican and white. I got my signatures. People seen me going around. They were sending me, hey, go to that person down the street. They'll sign. Get out here. We are out here. We may not be as loud and have signs all over our yards, but we are out here. God bless you, Tammy. Tammy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that message. It's such an important one. Jim in Minneapolis. Hey, Jim, thanks for listening. KTNF, what's up? I'd just like to reinforce what you're talking about. In Minnesota, basically in the metro, it's the party unit, it's Senate district unit, and then in rural areas, it's the county. But I would imagine wherever you're living, any place in the country, that they probably have trouble filling all the offices in their local uh, Democratic Party unit because we have, like, uh, chairs, uh, secretary, treasurer, outreach uh, officers, and um, if you show up, you can probably get one of these offices. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing that a lot of people have even dropped out over the last two years because of COVID and all this other stuff. There's probably lots of empty spots. Or am I, am I wrong? Uh, Trump, Trump was really helpful, and our numbers rose incredibly. Oh, that's good. After he, <laughs> after he, he got his way in there, we had a whole lot of people. And generally, it's about, like, 20 people who decide most of the business for our local unit. And that's about, I'm not sure exactly how many people, it's around like 50,000 people uh, live in, in this uh, Senate district. Right. And then there's probably about like uh, uh, 200 people in the Senate district that are real involved who go to caucuses and things like that. And then in Minnesota, we have open primaries. So if you just follow one side of the ticket, you can either vote as a Democrat, a Republican, or pick your party, but you have to vote entirely within that party. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the civics lesson, Jim. It's great information and good to know how things work there in Minneapolis. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for for calling and for listening to AM 950. President Biden is in uh, Brussels for an emergency NATO meeting. He just did a press conference. Uh, here's basically what he said. He announced that the United States is going to take in uh, up to 100,000 Ukrainian refugees as a starting point. He also noted that he believes that Russia should be kicked out of the G20. Now, that's a big deal. He also announced a new round of sanctions on more than 400 Russian uh, individuals and entities, including members of the Duma, of the Russian parliament, and officers, CEOs, and whatnot of Russian defense companies. 
Uh, separately, the G7 leaders warned Russian President Vladimir Putin, the Washington Post is reporting, against using chemical or nuclear weapons. There were reports yesterday that Russia was using phosphorus, white phosphorus, in Ukraine. So far, as far as I know, these reports are unconfirmed, but that is a, a war crime, a major war crime. White phosphorus, it's, it's like napalm. It's designed to burn people to death. It's just a hell of a lot hotter than napalm. So, number one. Number two, you know, it would be a terribly incomplete show if I didn't point out that yesterday, although we did talk about it yesterday, and we talked about it the day before yesterday at some length. In fact, it was my op-ed yesterday over at HartmanReport.com that the hearings for Judge Jackson were basically, you know, a, an opportunity for a handful of Republican senators who want to become president to, to craft a 30-second soundbite that would appear on Fox News. I predicted that yesterday. It happened last night just exactly as I predicted. These uh, Republican senators have no interest in determining whether Judge Jackson is qualified. By the way, uh, she has more judicial experience than four people currently sitting on the Supreme Court. I mean, compare her performance to beer bong Biff, right? Biff Kavanaugh. It's just like night and day. I mean, it's just... Anyway. Raphael Warnock, a Democrat from Georgia who's also black, he said, you know, I don't, I don't, I do think it's a legitimate question to ask if these, and he's speaking of these Republican senators, would be asking these questions if she wasn't a black woman. Basically asking her to defend, you know, the 1619 Project. Well, she has nothing to do with that. Oh, but it has a black woman who put it together, don't you know? Uh, if she defends critical race theory. Critical race theory has, you know, it. It's not even taught in our schools, and yet Marsha Blackburn kept saying, oh, we're doing, and Ted Cruz, oh, critical race theory in kindergarten. Uh, these, this is all just grandstanding. And I might add racist grandstanding by white Republican senators. Talking about parental rights, talking about mass mandates, talking about transgender women in sports. Everything they could do to try to just smear her and get that little 60-second soundbite. And it's frankly pathetic. It's a terrible reflection on today's Republican Party. It validates the point that I've made on this program over and over and over again, that, that the Republican Party has been captured. Not that there wasn't ever a shortage of racists and misogynists in it, but it has been captured basically, particularly since the Trump era, by neo-fascists who ground their, their love and hope for an authoritarian dictatorship in the United States in their belief that white people are the superior race and therefore should run everything and that men are superior to women and therefore women should always be subordinate to them and do whatever they say. And, you know, and their attempts to put this into law by rolling back Supreme Court decisions and passing legislation and, and grandstanding like this. I, I'm just, I don't know how to say it uh, any more strongly. I was so offended by the disrespect that was shown to an extraordinary woman, an extraordinary legal scholar, by these white people on the, on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, by these white Republicans. It was, it was beyond disgusting.
So I'll, I'll just leave that. If you want to comment on it, feel free to give us a shout. Um, also, America knows that Donald Trump must be held accountable. This, this, is, uh, uh, this is my concern about Alvin Bragg. He is, uh, Alvin Bragg is the uh, district attorney for New York City. He was elected in the last election. Uh, he, re he replaced a fellow who was uh, you know, actively in the process of uh, uh, trying to prosecute Donald Trump. And, and Bragg stopped that investigation. Well, yesterday, the, and when he stopped that investigation into Donald Trump, the, the new Manhattan DA, um, when he stopped that investigation, the two top prosecutors who were in the process, and literally within a couple of weeks of issuing an indictment or, or at least bringing this before a grand jury in New York City, they both resigned their jobs. They both quit their jobs. Well, yesterday, one of their resignation letters came out. It was from Mark Pomerantz. And the letter was, uh, a February 23rd resignation letter was obtained by the New York Times. And Pomerantz said that Bragg's decision to stop prosecuting Trump was, quote, contrary to the public interest. Pomerantz wrote, quote, the team that has been investigating Mr. Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes, he did. Now, prosecutors don't talk like that unless they've got, you know, the, the receipts, unless they have proof. Uh, Bragg, however, quote, this is from the New York Times today, balked at pursuing an indictment against Trump, a decision that shut down Pomerantz and Dunn's uh, presentation of evidence to a grand jury and prompted their resignation. Cyrus Vance Jr., Cy Vance was the previous uh, uh, prosecutor in uh, New York City, and he was, he was going for it. And in fact, as the New York Times notes, uh, Cyrus Vance Jr. had decided in his final days in office to move toward an indictment, leaving Mr. Trump just weeks away from likely criminal charges. So what's the deal with Alvin Bragg? Why did this guy wimp out? Did somebody get to him? Did somebody threaten his family? Is this Trump's mob buddies? Did he get a payoff? I mean, I don't live in New York City. I don't follow New York politics all that well. But if you live in New York City or you are a, uh, uh, you know, a, an aficionado of New York politics, please let me know what's going on here. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. Another important story that I think is in, in the news, that I know is in the news, that I think is important, I, I think it's of consequence, is this question about Sergei Shoigu, uh, the defense secretary for, for Russia. He has, now there, were, there are some reports that popped up yesterday afternoon that he has finally been seen after 12 days of being just like vanished. But nobody knows for sure whether that, you know, his popping up was actually recent footage or not. And the question is, what happened to this guy? And why? I'm guessing that the why, and I reported this on this program, I thought it was hysterical when it happened, is that the Ukrainian minister for, uh, against corruption, there's an office in the Ukrainian government, it's the office to stop corruption. It's got a fancier name than that, I'm 
forgive me for not remembering the exact words, uh, but it's basically an anti-corruption office. And the guy who's the director of that tweeted at the end of last week, and I read this tweet on the air, tweeted a thank you to Russian Defense Minister Shoigu. He said, thank you for sending troops into battle with egg cartons on their side rather than metal plating, rather than armor. See, it looks nice in pictures, but he said, thank you for sending troops into battle with cardboard bulletproof vests. They're easy to shoot through. And thank you for sending your soldiers into, into battle with rations, with food, meals ready to eat that expired in 2002 and 2004. Now, I have to believe that when that tweet came out, and like I said, I shared it with you on the air, that that was probably around the time that Defense Minister Shoigu just kind of vanished. Former Russian Foreign Minister Andrei Kazarov offered this on Twitter. He said, the Kremlin spent the last 20 years trying to modernize our, its army. Much of that budget was stolen and spent on mega yachts in Cyprus. This is the guy who used to be the Russian Foreign Minister. Shoigu, on the other hand, has no prior military experience, and, you know, most commentators say that he blames a lot, he, he bears a lot of the blame for this theft. The uh, Ukrainian outlet NV recently accused Shoigu of managing the budget of the Russian Ministry of Defense like his personal piggy bank. And indeed, that appears to be the case. He owns a lavish mansion outside Moscow. It was photographed by Alexei Navalny's investigative team using high-tech drones, estimated value of $18 million. He also used his position to bolster his, his family's company. The company owned by Shoigu's daughter earned 2.1 million rubles, and a billion rubles in state construction projects over three years. Corruption is what is hurting Putin in his war. This is why democracies are so much more resilient than autocracies or oligarchies and why we need to protect ours. Oh, dictator DeSantis. This is an amazing story. Let me just share this with you very quickly. Florida lawmakers, it's incredible what DeSantis and the Republicans in Florida just did with the legislative session that just wrapped up. The legislators have gone home. Uh, with their paychecks, and uh, they passed restrictions on abortion. They passed further restrictions on immigration. They passed a law against teaching about race in public schools. They passed a law against teaching about sexual orientation in public schools. They passed a law against teaching about gender identity in public schools. Uh, they, they passed a law creating uh, Ron DeSantis's own private election fraud police force. They passed a, a water bill that the sugar industry uh, wanted, but was opposed by the Everglades advocates. Um, they, you know, they did a lot of just gross, terrible stuff. But Ron DeSantis is threatening to call them back. We got more gross, terrible stuff we want you guys to do. What's he going to call them back for? Well, Representative Val Demings, a black Democrat from Florida, is, uh, you know, there's talk about maybe running for the Senate against Rick Scott. There's talking about maybe having her run against uh, Ron DeSantis himself. We can't have that. Val Demings is, you know, a, a reasonable Democrat, and she used to be a police chief. She's black, by the way. She's got, you know, but she's got, and she's got these great credentials. I say but because, you know, from the point of view of Republicans in, in Florida. Also, uh, black representative Al Lawson. They, what DeSantis wants to do, he, he wants to call the legislature into session to redraw the maps in Florida, 
so that Al Lawson's district and Val Deming's districts no longer exist, or at least no longer exist as districts that will elect a Democrat or a black Democrat. And, you know, I, there's, there's all this speculation, NBC News reports, uh, dragging legislators back to Tallahassee, which would be the ultimate power play for DeSantis, is on brand for a governor who became a top 2024 Republican presidential contender, second only to Trump, for his willingness to fight anyone who hints at crossing him. And uh, they go on to say, this is DeSantis's M.O. What he cares about, he cares about deeply, and if you get in the way, he's going to roll through you. Well, I have to say, on the one hand, you know, I actually admire people who believe, who actually act on their own beliefs. And if DeSantis's belief is that, you know, he needs to have this kind of power to impose his notion of fascism on Florida and ultimately the United States, as much as I disagree with what he's doing and dislike it and think it's anti-American and horrible and bad for our country, I have to acknowledge that this is what leadership is is pursuing relentlessly what you believe in. And I'd like to see a little more of it from our Democrats. Thank you very much. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. You know, Democrats, <laughs> pick a role model here. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls. Thomas in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Thomas, what's on your mind today? Yes, hi, Tom. My friends and family call me Patty, and I consider you my friend, so please do so. If you would, please. When I was teaching, I taught that the government was split into three equal, separate but equal branches of government, legislative, judicial, and executive. And uh, there's nothing the Supreme Court can do that the Congress can undo according to the original Constitution. Right. And I believe earlier you said that there were limits to what the Congress could do to fight against the Supreme Court. Well, the, the Congress could not pass a law saying that the, uh, uh, you know, the First Amendment's invalid and you no longer have a free press in America. I mean, the Supreme Court would be right to strike that down. Uh, well, granted, granted. For example, I mean, you know, if, if, if Congress tries to pass a law that's just blatantly unconstitutional, there are, there are limits. Well, we, we talked last week about how uh, the Supreme Court uh, stopped the judicial branch from uh, suing the red states and uh, voter suppression laws. Now, that should be that, that should be, according to the Constitution, back in the hands of Congress to fight that ruling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there, what I said earlier. You know, there's there, most Supreme Court decisions can be overturned by Congress. The exception to that, and the reason I said most rather than all, is that those decisions that that, are cl that ha clearly have to do with the Constitution. I mean, the Supreme Court basically makes two kinds of decisions. They make decisions about what, you know, whether a law comports with the Constitution or not, constitutionality, and they are also the final court of appeals. Every dispute, every legal dispute in America can ultimately be appealed to the Supreme Court. Very few are, and very few that, that try to actually get, it, get there, but, you know, that can happen. Thanks for the call. What do you think about, you know, my saying that maybe we should take a lesson from DeSantis. Is that off the wall? Or is that straight on? I'm starting to scratch my own head here. But I, you know, I'll stand behind it. I'm going to stand behind it.
Okay, a couple of things here. Uh, blowing smoke out the back of your truck is called coal rolling. The things I learned on Twitter today, right? Although I, I, I'd heard that before, it just didn't stick in my brain. The Ford F-150, the electric F-150, reportedly, the line is so long you won't get one until 2028 if you order it now, which is pretty amazing. And uh, let's see. Oh, and Val Demings is running for the United States, or may run uh, against Marco Rubio in the United States Senate. So, of course, Ron DeSantis is going to want to take her down. But, you know, he and Rubio are kind of, you know, tweedledum, tweedledee in, in many regards. Anthony in Dearborn, Michigan. Hey, Anthony, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I just kind of disagree with the idea and the strategy that the Democratic Party can be taken over or reformed. And that's just, you know, based on my experience that you are the company you keep. I mean, you got to look at the Democratic Party today. Is Pelosi an oligarch? Well, she became a hundred millionaire while serving in Congress. She's probably one of the most prolific traders in the market today. And, you know, they're friends with war criminals and they're all posting their love about Madeleine Albright after she died. I mean, once you make a deal with the devil, you kind of corrupt yourself in the process. So what's your alternative, Anthony? Oh, there are so many alternatives. You've set up kind of a straw man argument. You said that either it's either work within the Democrats or sit on the sidelines and complain. Well, there's a lot to do in between working within the party and sitting on the sidelines and complaining. Well, for example, a third party is one example. Please, please describe to me any time in American history when a third party actually succeeded without the collapse of, you know, I think you could argue that the that the Whigs replaced the Federalists successfully, but the Federalists collapsed before the Whigs came along. The Whigs collapsed before the Republicans came along. I don't think that there is an example from American history that you can identify, Anthony, and I'm challenging you to do so right now, of when an insurgent third party actually replaced an existing one of the, one of the existing two major parties. Well, that's why I don't think we should advocate to uphold this two-party system. I think it's one of the most unpatriotic structures within our country. So your so solution any, is to amend the Constitution the, to, to have proportional representation like most of the other dem- democracies in the world? Is that what you're saying? Well, How are I'd you going to do that? that? But there's a lot. Well, Tom, I'd be in favor of a constitutional amendment, but that's surely not the only thing. I mean, you talked about ballot. It's not even possible, Anthony, until you take control of the Democratic down. Party. It's not even possible. It takes two-thirds of the House and Senate to amend the Constitution and three-quarters of the states. Tom, I didn't say I want to amend the Constitution. I'm in favor of that. Okay, so what's your your alternative? That's your idea. No, you're you're saying you want to get rid of the two-party system. The only way to do that is to amend the Constitution. No, the only way to do that is to stop voting for them. Yeah, you stop voting for them, and they'll, they'll just continue on in their merry way. Thank you very much. And by the way, if you would have been a Democratic voter otherwise, you're basically giving more power to the Republicans. Why would you want to do that, Anthony? Well, that's a fallacy. A vote is for what you want, not for what you don't want. No, vote votes are binary. It's a binary system here. If, you're, if, you, if, you, if you are voting for something, you're voting no, for it. No, it's not binary. There's 17 candidates on the ballot and a write-in choice. Or you could just ignore it altogether and say, I don't want to participate in a rigged election, and they are rigged. And so your alternative is to vote for candidates who are never going to get elected to office? Is that what you're telling me? This is how you're going to solve the problems of America, voting for candidates who will never hold political office? Well, this is simply, we've only touched on the electoral point of it. You want to talk about when is a third party made change? How about uh, 
the Jill Stein's Green Party or Green New Deal. Basically, the Squad Democrats have tried to adopt that as, as their platform. That didn't now. come out of the Green it's Party. Kind of all watered down. Oh yeah, the Green New Deal. Oh, the Green New Deal, Tom. <laughs> the Green New Deal has. There's a huge coalition of, of of progressive groups all over the country that worked on the Green New Deal, Anthony. You know. It, oh, Tom. Anthony, I'm sorry. I see Jill Stein as a troll. It's. Anyway, I, I probably shouldn't have said that exactly, exactly that way. but You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.